The reading then is from John chapter 12, starting at verse 12 to 36. The next day the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's coat. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. So they said, We would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they're going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. We're going to just spend a few moments thinking about this passage today on Palm Sunday. Um, and if you've got your Bibles open at uh, John uh, chapter 12, um, that would be very good. Um, uh, the irony of this is that the first line in this passage says, a great crowd came for the feast. They obviously weren't having to practice social distancing in those days. 
um, because a great crowd were all bustling down that road as they walked uh, up towards Jerusalem. And um, they were waving palm branches. Uh, and that's very significant because I'm going to show you a screen now um, of something that would have been familiar at that time. Oh, hang on. Um, no, I'm just coming back and coming back to that in a moment. Um, right, okay. Um, I will put this on the screen for you, just a sec. There we go. There's uh, two uh, Roman coins, um, and you'll notice that they've got palm branches on them. I wonder if anyone uh, who's a Latin scholar can tell me which king was on the throne, if you read the inscription. Uh, NCP actually means Nero Caesar. So these were Roman coins that were uh, produced in the time of, uh, of Nero, sort of towards the end of about 60, 60 um, AD. Um, and, uh, but palm branches were always associated with a king uh, appearing. And um, so people would have been quite familiar with that kind of emblem. And so as they, as they come along the road, they're, they're waving palm branches because they're expecting a king to arrive. Um, it's also very significant. They're shouting out Hosanna. Uh, which means save us now. Uh, and I, I think perhaps we might all be shouting out, save us now, will we not? Lord, save us now from uh, the current uh, crisis that we're in. Uh, the people of, of that time, um, 2000 years ago, were in a different crisis. They were unable to rule themselves. The Romans were in charge and uh, they were looking for a king who was going to come and save them. So they were calling out, Hosanna, save us now, Lord. Then they call out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Uh, they were expecting that this person that was going to come was going to start ruling as the king of Israel. Uh, and they were obviously thinking back to David, the great king. And last year, I think Mike was preaching on this subject and uh, he told us a great deal about how the theme of the son of David is running through all of these passages. Uh, and when they said the son of David, they reckoned that Jesus would be the, the successor to David the king, the Messiah. Now, they uh, were on a, uh, David came riding on, or Jesus came riding on a donkey. And so let's just go back to this. Uh, here we go. Um, Hopefully, there we are, there's a donkey. Perhaps not quite the donkey that uh, Jesus rode, but um, uh, there's something missing from this donkey. Um, it is, of course, Shrek's donkey, uh, very famous. Um, there's something missing. Um, I wonder if anyone would like to unmute themselves and tell me what's missing from this donkey. Cross on his back. Cross on his back. Thank you, Wendy. Yeah. And uh, but if we look at a real donkey, uh, there's two real donkeys there, uh, and uh, they've all got crosses on their backs. 
they also pull funny expressions and make funny noises. A donkey is a bit of a joke animal, isn't it? In many today, uh, you know, you call someone a donkey, then you're not being very kind to them. But I just think it's wonderful the way that the donkey has been created specially for this task. He's even got a cross already on his back, uh, ready to carry the son of David, the king of kings, the Messiah, up to Jerusalem. And um, in this passage, uh, John reminds us too that uh, he reminds us too that uh, the prophet Zechariah had already prophesied that this would happen. So uh, hundreds of years beforehand, uh, we are reminded that uh, Zechariah wrote, "Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming." seated on a donkey's colt not on a great big impressive war horse but on a donkey's colt the 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 correct ride for the true and humble king who comes riding into into jerusalem now uh, i noticed that uh, in verse 17 um what happens as a result of this activity of jesus riding in jerusalem is the crowd are spreading the word um, have you have, have you noticed how things spread quite so quickly? How gossip spreads? Uh, we cannot uh, have missed the fact that this virus has spread all over the world so quickly, uh, transmitted from people to people, from country to country, uh, and uh, in a terrifying kind of way. Um, but you know, um, bad news spreads pretty fast, but also good news and as soon as people saw this king arriving on the donkey they were all spreading the news the people in the crowd were spreading the news our messiah is here however in the crowd are the pharisees and the pharisees are angry and they're plotting because he's not the kind of messiah that they are expecting him to be but you know, there's a, a very key verse in verse 20. Not only are there the crowd who've come up from Galilee, uh, not only are there the Pharisees that have come from Jerusalem to spy out this person coming, but there's also some Greeks in the crowd. And this is very significant because up until this point, Jesus has only really encountered the Jews and, and the Samaritans. Um, but now, the Greeks, the Gentiles, are coming to listen to this good news. The good news is spreading. And so these Greeks would have been probably God-fearing Greeks who were coming to join in with the Passover festival. But they weren't real Jews. They were, they were Gentiles. And the good news had spread to them. And, uh, you know, that's a very significant part of history. When the good news starts to spread from the Jews to the Gentiles. We see that again, of course, in Acts when Paul uh, and uh, go, goes out and starts taking the good news to the Gentiles. And then there's some more spreading. Philip uh, tells Andrew about these Greeks. And Andrew tells Jesus about these Greeks. That's how news spreads. One person tells another, and that person tells another. And uh, if you know anything about exponential graphs, which you can see, on our news regularly how the steepness goes up if you if one person tells two other people and those two tell uh two more each uh you get an exponential graph and after a very short time 
uh, the number of people who've heard is enormous. And so the good news starts to spread, the Messiah is here. And then in verse 23, Jesus announces, the hour has come. The hour has come. The specific time has come. Now, if you remember at the beginning of John's gospel, uh, Jesus is at a feast, uh, he's at a wedding. And uh, his mother points out the fact that the wine has run out and his mother puts Jesus in the spotlight. And Jesus' response is, my hour has not yet come. But now, here in, uh, on Palm Sunday in John 12, my hour has come. Uh, now is the time for me to do what I've come for. Now, of course, the crowd were thinking this was the time for his glory. They were thinking this is the time when he's going to rise up and he's going to defeat the Romans and he's going to show everyone the truth of the kingdom of God. But Jesus' understanding of glory is different to the crowd. For him, glory is to go to a cross, is to lay down his majesty and, uh, and, and go and, and give up his life on a cross. And in verse 24, he starts to speak about a grain of wheat. If a grain of wheat is just left on the table, it remains as one grain. But if it goes in the ground, it, it dies. Effectively, it doesn't die, of course, it, it germinates. But when it germinates, it becomes many seeds. And Jesus is saying, in order to bring glory, one, one person, that is to say, myself, Jesus, has to die. But if he does, it will produce many, many seeds. And he goes on with a very strange saying, if you love your life, you'll lose it. If you hate your life, you will gain eternal life. Well, I think we can understand the first bit. If our aim is completely to, uh, to, to preserve our life and to, to gain it, uh, to keep it, because we love it so much, um, then ultimately we will lose it because all of us are going to die one day. What does he mean to hate your life? I know there are people who are very depressed and literally might be hating their life. Jesus is not saying that. He's using it uh, as a comparison. So that rather than love your life above all things, actually to put your life second uh, and to love him more, uh, if you do that, if you put him first, we will gain eternal life. And so he calls us all not to seek just to gain for ourselves, but actually to seek the bigger glory of God. And then in verse 27, we, we see a, a verse which actually might seem odd after last week's talk. Jesus says, now my heart is troubled. <laughs> and then last week we were looking in John 14, where he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. So what's going on here? Jesus is troubled. Um, of course he's troubled. He knows what is coming to him. And he has a choice. He says, what shall I say? Shall I say option one, Father, save me? In other words, to love his life and to hang on to his life. Or shall I say option two, Father, glorify your name? Because by taking option two, he puts his own life last and he puts his father's glory first. We have a similar choice. 
we can either act to save ourselves or we can lose ourselves in order to glorify God. Now, let's just not take this too literally. Um, if we, uh, in the current situation, of course, in order to the better good, we do need to save ourselves from catching this virus by isolating as we've been advised. Uh, but it's, that is for the greater good. It might mean denying things that we would rather be doing. Uh, and for many of us, Lent has taken on a completely different angle this year, hasn't it? Uh, as Tom, uh, Tom Wright says, uh, um, our sharp new regulations, no theatre, schools, virtual house arrest for the over 70s, make a mockery of our little Lenten disciplines. Doing that whiskey chocolate is child's play compared to not seeing friends or grandchildren or going to the pub, the library or the church. Um, actually, there are many of us, especially our key workers, who are putting their own lives on the line, aren't they? And we've seen tragic stories this week of nurses with young children who have died as a result of doing something for saving other people. And so we come to the last little section, verses 35 and 36, where I just want to ask a practical question. What should we be doing? Well, Jesus, in, in verse 35, says, walk while you have the light. He's talking about a time of darkness that will be coming upon the disciples when he is crucified and taken away from them, and they are left on their own. Walk while you have the light. Darkness is coming, he says. But then he goes on to say, put your trust in the light. Even when the darkness comes, the light of Christ is still shining. Uh, and in fact, he gives us an instruction to become sons of light. In other words, what we already are. We are already sons and daughters of the light if we are in Christ. We have a light of Christ in us. Uh, that illumines, illumines the darkest night, uh, and we should become what we already are, children of light in a dark world, spreading the light in words and actions. Now, I will put this article up on, on the internet next time I, uh, when I send you an email, but there's a very good article by N.T. Wright in which he's... Um, he's it, trying to discuss what Christians should do about the coronavirus. And what, what he says is what we should not be doing is offering people explanations and answers. And there are people who are starting to say, oh, this is the end times. It's going to be the end of the world. Uh, and those people will always pop up. Uh, and every time there's a crisis, they've been doing it for 2000 years. Yes, of course, we are in the end times. But what Christians should be doing uh, is, is not trying to explain this away to people, but he talks about uh, in the Psalms, in the, in the tradition of the Psalms, there is uh, the tradition of lament. We look uh, at what's happening, we can't see an answer to it, we can't see an end to it. We're tempted to say, where's God? Has he abandoned us? But we know that God is with us. I will put the whole of this article up for you because it is a very good, a very good one. Um, but he's, he ends his article with this. It is no part of the Christian vocation then to be able to explain what's happening and why. 
In fact, it is part of the Christian vocation not to be able to explain and to lament instead. As the Spirit laments within us, so we become, even in our self-isolation, small shrines where the presence and healing love of God can dwell. And out of that there can emerge new possibilities, new acts of kindness, new scientific understanding, new hope, new wisdom for our leaders. Now there's a thought. I'm going to leave you uh, in this talk with, uh, to read another psalm, one that he refers to in there, Psalm 13. And I guess some people have read this in moments of darkness many times. Psalmist David says this, the son of, this is David the king. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Now that's lament. But it goes on. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Amen.